Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. Jesus, 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 Jesus likes girls. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus likes girls. What up? Hello. Hey. What's that going on? Oh, it's just me and you podcasting, <laughs> chilling as usual. <laughs> I just had a um, huge. I just had an impulse to say. Actually, I totally forgot. No, so it's gone. Okay, <laughs> well, it's a riveting intro. Welcome to Jesus, Jesus likes, likes girls. girls. We are girls. We are still girls. Nothing has changed. Nope. Still she, her over here. <laughs> and um, yep. I am Zena, the warrior, and... Shay Shay, keeping it real. This is Shay Shay O'Casey. I got some feedback recently that said our voices are too similar and we need to refer to each other more to clarify when the podcast is going on, who is speaking. Hmm. That's, are they? Are our voices similar? Because I feel I like know. I'm like Baritone McGee over here. Well... I, I don't think they're similar, but maybe we have similar cadence or speech pattern because we're such good friends. So there's some so transference that that's happening that we don't even, we can't, it's happening on a level above our, our consciousness. And if you don't like it, kiss my ass. <laughs> that, that was Shay Shay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Today, we're talking about Jesus' favorite Christians. No, it's one of my favorite. Our favorite Christians. Well, they're Jesus's too. Maybe. I'm not going to speak for JC. You know what? I fucking know he loves our people the way that we love our people because he loves everybody. So it's, it's in the bag. It's true. <laughs> um, so it's in the motherfucking bag. We had uh, our favorites episode a while back and we decided, we decided there's too many. This might be a regular thing. Our favorites. Just because it's so nice to to give people their due. I mean, we we tend to be a little bit cynical, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> on a positive note, there are some people out there that are amazing. And it's I true. think it's cool to showcase them because I know, definitely know most of these people are not getting the accolades as Jesus' favorite people. Okay, okay. Well, it feels like a large responsibility now to me, and I'm getting nervous. But Girl, that's okay. It's not like uh, this is going down in the annals of their documentaries or something. True. And once Whitney Houston was quoted as being Jesus' favorite Christian. True. You know what I'm saying? Good point. Is your person Whitney? No. No. But I do love her. Okay. And you do too. It's true. But we've been getting a lot of uh, emails and listener feedback. You guys are uh, really coming through. Yeah. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you listening. We appreciate you sharing your stories. And one listener pointed out the absurdity of the Advent tea. <laughs> and so we're going to bring that up. I don't even just know to what. talk about. I Sidebar. No, Sidebar. No, I still don't even know what it is. Did you explain it to me? I don't think we went in depth. I was like, Advent tea? What the how did I miss out on that? Why didn't I ever get invited to that? Good question, Shay. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Shay, Shay? No. <laughs> is Shannon coming to the tea? No, I don't think so. Okay, um, is Mary coming to the tea? <laughs> Mary is the second person in line. <laughs> I'm buffered by Mary and Well, we were Rebecca. joking, like, is it a t-shirt? Is it an Advent tea? Is that what it is? is? It, that's what I thought, what but she hell? spelled it T-E-A. So right. I was like, Advent tea. Uh, what I said is I've spoken at one. Which I fell out on my chair. Yeah. So <laughs> an Advent tea is this weird Christian female woman's event. Uh-huh. And it's at Christmas time, Advent time, and you hold a tea. Wait, let me guess what it is first. Go for it. I the just church? told you. So. Well, okay, fine. Go on. What are you, you going to say? <laughs> I was imagining like everybody gets together one day out of every day of Advent and they give a gift to each other or they drink some tea together. Some Christmas Wrong. tea. <laughs> you loved being able to say that. Christmas, Wrong. Christmas tea. There's some Dwight Schrute some shit. It's just one night. And they have like a formal tea at the table. And okay, so first, one bitch picks a table. Like, she gets her own damn table. And she's got to provide everything for it. Like she has a tea set. Wait. Yes. I, I went you to, have been at an event. No, tea. no, but I went to a Christian women's retreat. Uh huh. 
And at our dinner, yes. they asked different women to sponsor their ta- to sponsor a table, and yes. you were responsible to and decorate like, it all. Okay. So it was like that. You, you had to bring everything for the table. You had to bring everything for the table, and you also have to bring everyone who sits at your table. You have to bring them. Oh, yeah. like drive them to the tea? Well, I mean... You have to go pick them all up? If you want to, but I think it's just you invite them. You invite them. them and be like, you're my special peeps at my Advent tea table. Yeah, and really, I'm just trying to get you to accept Jesus. Oh. Right. It's time to bring the non-Christians to oh, church. Oh, it's an outreach tea. Because they're at... It's Christmas time, so people are more open, and they... I have this tea. This is the weird thing about tea. Nobody drinks it? I exactly. Mean... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bartender yes. at a cigar bar. Yeah. And when somebody asks me if we have hot tea, I'm like, get out of my face. What do you think What do you think this is? Get like, go to the bakery. Well, who drinks tea? I just, mean, just, tea's you know, good and everything, but... One of my best friends is a serious tea drinker. Like, she loves tea. And she is a frequenter of, like, uh, over the pond and going to England. And so she is the only legit tea drinker I know. Everyone else is just, you know... They're like me. I buy the, the, the... I buy the... Peppermint tea that they come out with at Trader Joe's every year, and I'm always like, Candy cane. Yes. Yeah. And then that bitch sits in my cupboard all year long because I never really want tea because I love coffee. Well, I grew up drinking tea when I was sick. My mom would make us tea with honey and cream Mm. in it when I was ill. So I have a lot of comfort memories about tea, and actually Josh and my daughter drink tea. That's cute. Yeah. That's sweet. But But it's like a comfort thing for you, and comfort is your love language. True. So tea's never leaving the building for you. Tea is here to stay. But you are a coffee girl through and through. But I don't have a tea set. I'm not like... Who the fuck has a tea set? (laughs) Every woman who sponsors her table. Oh... Okay. So there, there's a formality about it and some bygone era of when, like when we were not America? I, I don't know. The Victorian age was a big tea thing. Yeah. Probably because our, our English ancestors. Yeah. But uh, that ship has left. The ship has back gone back to, to England. England. Yes. <laughs> we have Starbucks in every corner and the tea they're party. not tea. We threw all the tea in the... <laughs> In order for a reason. We're done with tea. But not the church. Not the American Christian church where women still think inviting strangers who have no concept of why you're bringing them or why they're drinking fucking tea have to come and sit around a big-ass table and feel uncomfortable for two hours straight. I love this so much. It's true. I know. I feel like I... I'm kind of sad I didn't go to an Advent tea, man. Aww, someone out there, you know who to put at your table this year. Don't do it. I'm, Shay, I'm not going to come. Casey. <laughs> Mary and Rebecca, no, they'll be come. there. Becky's there, but <laughs> Shay Shay, actually she will come because she loves everything and she would be excited. She would be all about it. I'm an events-driven person. She would be like, well, I have this tea. I'm like, oh, I, I got pretty tablecloths. I have some pretty teacups. I inherited from my mother and my ex-mother-in-law. See? You you could you could have a table. You know I decorate that shit up like McSweeney. I know you would. So for me, I actually spoke at a tea, and I would give money right now to know what the fuck I said. Oh my god, I have me too. Zero memory. There has to be a recording somewhere. I don't know. In the but Christian vault. I imagine it was probably. I, who it knows? It was probably sweet because you're you've always been an insightful yeah. person. So Maybe it was about sure it was Jesus cool. at Christmas, or but I probably should have just commented on tea. I don't think I did, but. In any case, Advent teas and other weird things Christian women do. The uh, the one thing I did think about was sewing circles, like in the Amish community and Mennonite. Like, mm-hmm. I almost joined one as of recent. What? With a we have a mutual friend who's in one. A sewing circle? Yeah, and I was like, I want to do that. Really? Because there's all kinds of socks I gotta darn, and I never have the time for it. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but I do love to sew, and I never make time for it. So you love to sew? Yeah. Really? I took. You know, I in high school I took home ec, and yeah. we made clothes, and I loved it so much. I learned how to use a sewing machine, 
made I made a vest. I wish I still had this thing. It was made of and we could pick whatever material we wanted. Yeah. And I got Flintstones. I got a Flintstones pattern. What? I think I'm pretty sure it was Flintstones in my memory. This was like tenth grade, so this I don't is, know. This is amazing to me. I know, and I had that thing forever and I Flintstones vest? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna wear this thing, so I might as well make it outlandish as hell. And I think the, the lady's name was like Miss O'Toole or something. Miss O'Donnell. She, it was something like that. Patty O'Toole. Yeah, she definitely was Irish and red-haired and everything. Speaking of Irish, I am so into Peaky Blinders right now. Have you ever watched it? No. <gasps> Is it a PBS miniseries? No, it's a it's a <clears throat> um. What's the BBC? Oh yeah, I feel like they're the same. They're not. Well, there's another one that one everybody is... was into. That the it was. I think that was Victorian too. That I was like, nah. This isn't Victorian. But you know what this is gangsters. About? This is gangsters in the 1910s, and it is. I just finished. Let me tell you something. No, I just finished the Prohibition one with uh, what's his name. This one blows it. it away. Peaky Blinders is. I don't insane. like that word, Peaky. I Get have... the fuck out of my face, Peaky Please. Blinders. Listen, like, so, so, so listen stupid. to me. Listen, Linda. Listen, <laughs> I have avoided Peaky Blinders always because A, Peaky. No one wants to see that I, shit. It's very, I'm very averse to the word. I don't like it. I know. It's like twisties. We just don't want to go there. <laughs> so, so, so I've never watched it, but you know, we're still in pandemic time. So I'm scraping the bottom of the viewing barrel. I'm like, what can I possibly watch? The world that I'm saying I've watched so damn much. I've been at home for two years mm -hmm. that I'm just like open to watching things I normally wouldn't. And I started this series and it is so fucking good. It is so good, Jay. I trust I, your judgment. I liked it way more than Boardwalk Empire, even though it's kind of the same feel, except it's in it's over in England. It's a BBC production. And first of all, <clears throat> Cillian Murphy is in it. Oh, I love him. Um I do love him. I would He is one strange looking motherfucker though. But isn't how he? gorgeous is he? His eyes. He's got those weird cat eyes, you know. He is so hot, and he is the man. He is the one, and he and he's won the award, kind of best actor Emmy over there for the this, BAFTA, whatever, for <laughs> this role for several years running. Mm. He, it's amazing. I'm not kidding. So all of you, I believe you. Go on, and watch Boardwalk, Peaky Blinders. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm turn of the century gangstered out. Boardwalk Empire was so terrible. It was such a great show and I loved it so much. And then it, at the end, it landed on such a horrific instance of this man's behavior that it ruined the whole experience. And it was tr so tragic and so terrible and very telling of American history and men's misogyny against women. I'm, you can't go back. I can't. I'm done. I can't go back. <laughs> it was so bad. It was, I mean, the whole I show was essentially about how this woman, this came little and girl, me. <laughs> oh my God, was I raped. A 12, 12 year old girl who was raped by this man, and then all the tragedy that ensued therefore after. Well, great. Done. Gross. No, I'm really not just raped. Like, made can we her not? Sex can we you stop? <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Boardwalk Empire. Fuck you. Well, here's the thing about Boardwalk Empire. I never got into it. I could never really love it. And then I saw Peaky Blinders and I understood why. Because the authenticity level of this fucking show. Hmm. And the other cool part about it is they play all modern music as the soundtrack. Like a Ooh, lot like of rock. A lot of PJ Harvey. A lot Ooh. of like just odd Radiohead. And they that's the soundtrack for this very authentic show that's so atmospheric. Hmm. And he is so beautiful. I'm sorry I'm in love I mean with him. like as beautiful as Justin Thoreau. He, he he's more beautiful. Shut the fuck up. No, and he takes off his shirt and he's got tattoos and I am obsessed with him. Hmm. Well, you got me there. Now I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but I started a new show last night called Your Honor with Brian Cranston. Okay. Have you seen that? Oh, Shay. Yes, I have. Oh, no. Do I not want to continue? I watched the first episode. And it's good. Yeah, it was good. And it was terrifying. It was, yeah. it was hard to watch because the main, the, his son is so in line with my own son. And I wasn't sure if he was in high school or college, but... 
you know, they, they seemed like the same kind of kid as mine and the same age as mine. And so I was imagining. And you love Brian Cranston. And I love Brian Cranston. I did feel like it was a little over the top with like displaying his integrity. You know, he was presiding over this case yeah. in court and he was acting like a lawyer and showing all of this about behind the scenes of the right. perpetrator. And I was like, okay, so he's an angel. Brian Cranston Straight is an amazing man. But I'll tell you what happens in that show. No, it falls don't. apart. The writing falls apart, and by the end, Josh and I, we finished it, but to laugh. Oh. It falls apart. Well, I mean, like I said, how they displayed his character, I was already kind of like, oh, give me a break. I kind of want you to watch it so we can talk about the end. Cause it's I got so limited time, Z. Ben I can't waste my time on this shit. <laughs> <laughs> if you already have the intel, just hand it to me so I can move on. <laughs> That show ends so badly. Right. Well, we're done with that. Okay. But, you know, I did, I mean, I know we're really going off about TV, but we're all in it. The whole world. So I know every listener is like... life right now. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Peaky Blinders. (laughs) I I started Mayor of Easttown. Uh Uh-huh. And it is real hard for me to finish this shit. Yeah. I don't know why. I've been watching it for like a month. Yeah. And it's only like seven episodes or something. I'm always like, all right, I gotta finish that episode. Did you get past the Kate Winslet, like trying to, because it took me like a few episodes to stop seeing her as famous, famous Kate Winslet. And yeah. to really like... See her as mayor. See her as mayor. Because that was like, that's kind of such overweight. a hard disconnect for me. I, I, just, I like, just think about the weight every episode because okay. I've heard her discuss at length what her weight struggles have been in Hollywood and how she conceded, not easily, but did it, did so and got down to the target weight that Hollywood wants her to be at. And so to see her a little heavier, yeah, um, I just can't stop thinking about it. Like, what was that like? How did it affect you? Did it mess with your mind? Yeah, did you she's get it such, off? she's such a part of, like, consciousness for film lovers. And women. And so it's difficult to watch her be mayor. Yeah. But she does great, and it's a great show. I was a little bummed by the ending, but... Yeah, well, I'm in, but barely hanging okay. on. I hear you. So that's 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 why I started another show last night. I was like, I don't want to watch another episode of Mare. Yeah. So I started Your Honor, and then, well, great. I guess I'm going to start something else. Yeah. It's not going to be Peaky Blinders. I'm sorry. Dude, it should be. I Well, I thought of uh, Justin Thoreau because when I was leaving work last night, Jennifer Aniston was on Jimmy Kimmel on the TV. Yeah. And I was like, Jennifer We've Aniston. got this thing about Jennifer Aniston. She married Brad Pitt and Justin Thoreau. She had, like, two of the most gorgeous men on the planet as her husband. And got divorced from both of them. She's like, it's next. Like, is my whole perception of men that skewed that these two gods that I that I would, like, sell my children to marry, <laughs> she divorced? <laughs> Do I have that lack of discernment and insight? We should learn a lesson from Jen. A, pick the hottest guy in the room and go for it. B, divorce his ass if he's a dick. Amen. Jen, <laughs> we hear you. But maybe they left her. Maybe she's like a monster. Who knows? Who knows? But I'm just, I'm intrigued and mystified by how this woman landed two of the bonest men on the planet. I hear you, man. But she hasn't gotten um, uh, Cillian Murphy, so. He's probably next. He's married. I mean, I don't know. I've already done some research. He's married. He's married. (laughs) (laughs) Like, is Cillian Murphy available? Available. Where does he Because I want to hook him up with my friend Shay Shay. Oh, right. <laughs> so, so, little TV insights there for you. It brings me to uh, our people. So why don't you go first? Who's your person? Or do you want me to go first? Oh, uh, I don't care. Okay, go first. I mean, my person is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh. Just because I was delving deep about her and her abortion. By the views. way, our numbers last week were the lowest they've ever been. Oh, because people were like, abortion, schmortion, heard it all before, can't do it. Or what? It was interesting to me. I think people didn't like us taking a political stance. Well, we tried really hard to not take a political stance and just talk about abortion itself. I know. But it, there was something about us coming at people. But, like, us talking about abortion was people weren't interested. And I thought about it and I thought, well, you know, I made some statements in that episode. At one point I called all conservatives liars. And that's such a blanket statement. Mm -hmm. And I mean, really, I think that some conservatives have their heads so far up their white asses (laughs) that they fucking can't see the woods from the trees or whatever, you know. 
but not all. And also, that's true of extreme liberals as well. Mm-hmm. Really, my political stance is that either end of the political spectrum is just a mirror of one another. It's the same heart. It's the mm-hmm. same damn heart. They, if they just switch some of the words, they'd all be saying the same things. And so I, I just felt like it's interesting. But so I do take that back. I don't think all conservatives are liars, but you heard what I do think of them. <laughs> all right, Ruth Bader. Well, I love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record because I talked a lot about a lot of I talked about a lot of things that I really appreciated about her last week. But I have some bullet points here. The thing that I love, one of the one of the many things that I love about Ruth Bader Ginsburg was that she was such a badass. And this is what I've said consistently whenever I've brought her up, because she 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 was a beast of a woman. Like she was an exemplary woman of what she was able to accomplish more than your average girl. Like True. she worked so hard. Yeah. So many hours, so dedicated. Like she was a gifted person. And on top of that, she had some kind of energy that is just like remarkable. Unlike humans. Undeniably yes. above average. Beyonce level. Really? You Seriously. Know? Like and I can't relate to those people. I'm I so tired either. right now. <laughs> I, I just work seven days straight and I feel like my I Her don't face even face is about to fall off. <laughs> like I just slayed so much and now I'm dead. But so RBG, you know, she accomplished a lot in her life. And what always stuck out to me as I've learned more details about how she operated and what what her life story was, she, while going to Harvard Law School, her husband, who sounds like a real catch. I love this guy. Okay. I don't remember what his name is, but whatever. (laughs) I feel like his name was Harvey, but I don't know why. (laughs) Anyways, he was a big advocate for her and always like had her back and and, like... So supportive. Yeah, he really... He He was a successful lawyer. And, you know, they were a real team. Yes. Um... But he got sick while they were in law school. And she also had a one-year-old, had a baby while she was there. And so she was taking care of her child and she was taking care of her cancer-stricken husband and doing her studies. I don't even know how that's humanly possible. And some of his. And some of his. She was sharing all her notes with him. Yes. Helping him be on top of his. I think wrote papers for him. Like, with his ideas, but, like... I mean, do I need to even share anything else at this point? What this yes, you do. After that? Yes. So tell me why you think she Jesus was a woman of... Do you think she was a woman of faith? Well, she was Jewish. Okay. So that's all I know about her faith. And what I, what I love about the fact that she was a faith-filled woman was she was able to extricate herself and follow her, her real passion, which was the law. And the law and her faith should never coincide. And so what she did was study the law fucking as profusely as a person possibly can. Yeah. Know it all and advocate for women's rights based on the law. Yes. And in in doing so, she saved the lives, in my opinion, saved the lives of many, many women who in turn would have died from abortion practices because they would have still continued to get them regardless of whether they were legal or not. And so she made space via the law for abortion to remain, the abortion to remain legal. Yes. She because it's been, a woman's I'm just right. Getting, I'm just getting a picture of her dealing with people mm-hmm. and thinking about how when someone has strict boundaries, mm-hmm. you know, and they understand their mind mm-hmm. and they understand what people are bringing to them, not coming at them, but bringing to them. <laughs> And just just watching, like observing someone's mistakes mm-hmm. in front of her face mm-hmm. and then still having to have the patience and the intelligence and the wherewithal to respond. And grace. And I mean, she did it for her entire career. Yep. It's amazing. Until the very end. And I almost I almost said that bitch stayed on the seat on the bench. But, you know, I don't want to be derogatory, but that bitch stayed on the beat bitch bench until her dying day because Trump was in office and she knew that her seat was highly desired to be replaced by a conservative. Dude, she probably stayed alive as long as she possibly could. I think she actually was holding on to dear life to just keep her seat held until the president's term was ended. And And God was like, Ruth... It's time, girl. I'm calling you home. It's time. Time to go. Um, I think she passed away like two weeks before Trump's term ended or something like Damn that. Damn it. Yeah. Like, it was devastating. It was like, I almost felt mad at her. Like, seriously? You can wait two more weeks? You know? <laughs> 
that up to her. I don't know what the details were. I don't remember, but it was something along those lines, and it was devastating because it was replaced by Amy fucking Coney Island Barrett. Right. But anyways, right. you know, some she was 87 when she passed, um, wow. and she had gone through multiple battles of cancer and a heart operation and still kept her seat. Love her. I know. Love her. She was like, I am a servant of the people. And mm. I will stay here to advocate and fight for the people as long as I have a pulse. Yes. yes. With my little collar. Mm-hmm. You know why she wore that collar? Why? Because there was no distinction. Uh, like, all the men wore ties, and mm. her robe had a space for a tie. And so it was, like, awkward for her to have this space. So she wanted to have, like, some her something of her own trademark as a woman. So she started wearing those collars. Mm. So it wasn't necessarily a fashion statement on her part, although it became one. It was because... The, her, her fucking robe was made for a man only. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's great. Another thing that was interesting about her position was there was no women's bathrooms. And even though Sandra Day O'Connor had already been there like 12 years before. There was still no bathrooms? Still none. Wow. Yeah. So what the hell did they do? Did they put one in? They um, had to. Have. I'm sure eventually they did. She's like, let me just refer to the law here. Build me a bathroom. <laughs> what the hell? That's lame. <laughs> Also, a funny thing, a funny tidbit. I just have a bunch of tidbits about her. She She's known as a um, self-proclaimed terrible driver, and she failed her driver's test the first five times she took it. Damn. <laughs> it's like she was a real person, you know, and she was brilliant yes. and gifted, but she couldn't fucking drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so tiny, too. Like, she was such a beast yes. of a woman. And she was, like, four feet tall, 100 pounds. Yes. And she was actually really beautiful, too. Like, yeah. I made fun of her looks one time, I think with you, when she was really, really near death. Okay. And she was 87, you know? What did we say? And I was like, I don't know, we said something derogatory, like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> you were really like, staring at the grave. Something like that or already or something like that? Okay. Yeah. And, but she was so gorgeous when she was young. Yeah. I mean, like, breathtaking gorgeous. She wasn't appointed until 93 when she was 60. Really? Isn't that interesting? Very. I'll, say, I'll share a couple of her famous quotes. Okay. People ask me some. These probably are so well known. Everybody's like boring. But anyways, I don't know. People ask me sometimes, when will there be enough women on the court? And my answer is, when there are nine. People are shocked, but there'd been nine men, and nobody's ever raised a question about that. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Mm. I love that quote Mm. because I I think we talk about Christianity and the church so much and. Um, the mission proposed is to recruit believers, yeah. but it's but the way it's done is so divisive. Yes, and I think that's always interesting about Ruth Bader Ginsburg is she stood for things in such a way that made people want to join her in the fight. I think that she converted a lot of people who were probably pro-life into pro-choice just based on humanity and equal, like sharing and illuminating how unequal our society operates yeah. and that women should have their rights just as men always have had their rights. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and then sh- the, the last one is real change, enduring change, happens one step at a time. And I l- that makes me... F- that makes me feel comforted hmm. you know like the small work is big work and it's always really important and I think that is really demonstrated in the way she lived her life she worked on cases for years and years and years hmm. same cases hmm. devoted to them and understanding that this is really important work and it happens slowly so don't give up you know nice and it's it's encouraging to me because sometimes I, I think about the things that I'm devoted to and and I'm tired you know I'm tired of the process yeah. As, as we hear in therapy, like, it's a process. <laughs> I have life, like, it makes me, like, twitch a little bit, like, Egh. but it's true. And, and it's important to, like, yeah. be committed and trust, trust the process. In my faith, trust Jesus, that he's there, that he loves me, that he cares about everybody that's involved in this situation. And it's okay. I don't need to see the remarkable end game in my own timeline. I can trust that God is here and that everything's going to be okay. You know? Yeah. I don't know if Ruth Bader Ginsburg was going for that same kind of (laughs) Christian slant. (laughs) Yeah. But it applies. 
Yeah. And and that mentality makes me want to join her fight. And that's Aww. that's what's kind of miraculous about what she did. Because she's a Jew. And I mean, that was another thing uh, that was happening with this woman that we are really ignorant of because we're not Jewish and we didn't grow up in her timeline. You that's know, true. like in America, to be a Jewish woman hmm. doing all of the things that she was doing, like imagine what, she, imagine all the oppression she was facing, all of the battles she was she having to endure. And she just cut through that shit. She was like Moses in the parting Red Sea. Yeah. Seriously, though. So, and so, like, the quote is really appropriate that it's a slow process and and just keep working on what you believe is important and good. Like, you have to operate like that yep. when you're Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That is the so, truth. Yeah. Well, thank Love you. Her. That was good, Shay. One of your faves. I RBG. Mean, so, who's your person? Well, Emily Dickinson is... Obviously well known mm-hmm. and um, very important to American history, American poet that has confounded generations, generations, <laughs> and her uh, take on life and God and the way she lived her life has continued to confound even up to this day. She's the subject of so many movies, books, just examining this person and the way that she lived her life and the writing she left behind. Mm. And so she is one of my faves. Okay. And so I was going to talk about Emily today. I'm in I'm here for it. Okay. Bring on so, the poetry, bitch. All right. I'm trying to think. I don't I don't have all the facts. She was born in the 1800s. I'll start with a story. Okay. Okay. So she was at school and the teacher asked everyone who wanted to be a missionary to stand. And so she was 15 and they slowly, everyone started standing up. Okay. But Emily remained seated. She was like, pass. Pass. So then noticing that people didn't stand, she said, all right, everyone who claims to be a Christian, please sit. And so everyone sat down and Emily stood up. What? Yes. She stood up and then began a process of her being counseled and met with with all of her uh, teachers and counselors and trying to basically sway her to say that she was a Christian. And she also came from an extremely devout family. And so the Bible, Bible reading was like a daily practice. Uh, Church was absolutely necessary in this family. And when asked like why, you know, she was standing for, you know, why she would do this or why she's taking the stance, she would say, she said, I thought that the greater wrong would be to lie. Mm. And so from jump, this woman's mind operated in a way in the 1800s that people didn't have the allowance to think, Mm. really. Mm -hmm. But she just did. That's who she was. And she had complete integrity about where she was with God. And it was highly disruptive to Mm -hmm. the status quo. Mm -hmm. So her story is that when she died, she had had like a handful of poems that were published in her lifetime. That's it. Mm -hmm. And when she died, they found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of poems that she'd written. And then she'd stitch into her books. And so they found all this writing, and that's the body of work that we all know now. But it was never shared in her lifetime. So everything mm-hmm. that's happened in her standing in literature is all posthumous. Wow. Yeah. So what do you mean she stitched them into her books? I don't know. Like, she like had a book, and she and she would take the, the poems that she'd written on pieces of paper and stitch them into a book as a collection. Oh. That's what she would do with them. It's funny that you say that because I always associate her with stitching. And maybe it's because I've seen so many quotes from poetry in cross-stitch or something. Maybe just because she's just from another era. The stitching era. The stitching era. She was in sewing circles, I guarantee. Probably. <laughs> but she, or probably not actually, because she was highly, highly reclusive. Yeah. Was she, she in that, was she portrayed as one of the people in that movie, The Hours, with Nicole Kidman? Or am I thinking of uh, Virginia... You're thinking Virginia Woolf. Okay. Also a writer. But um, Emily Dickinson, she, she was formally educated for seven years at Amherst College, which her family founded. Hmm. Like, she was part of that generational 
family lineage of founding that college. So her formal education was limited. Her brothers were all formally educated and sent on to college and university, mm -hmm. but she was not. And so um, the most brilliant one among them wasn't sent. Stunted. Absolutely. And so she had this mind that, I mean, have you ever read any Dickinson? I have. I, I'm, I guess I'm just not really acquainted with like a prolific amount of her work. Well, it's almost incomprehensible hmm. to me. When I first read her poems, they're so dense with meaning. They're just indiscernible unless you take the time and actually probably have someone who's studied her explain them to you. I feel like we've all studied some of her work in high school. Like it's a part of the English rotation. Well, that may you know? be true, but honestly, her work is, this is the thing for me. Whenever I read an Emily Dickinson poem, it's like um, I hit a wall. Hmm. She Which is probably why I'm not very familiar with her work, because I probably did the same thing. It was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I, I want to read, I want to read a couple of her poems, but you'll see why. I, I love this poem. This is how it goes. Though the great waters sleep, that they are still the deep, we cannot doubt. No vacillating God ignited this abode to put it out. So I, I'm going to read something that I wrote about her. The great frustration in her work is her refusal to agree that God can be understood. And that was true about her personhood as well. Mm -hmm. She would never agree. Every time someone tried to say, God is this, Emily, do you agree? <laughs> she would say no, because she felt that we do not understand God, and so I can't agree with you. And there were many times in her writings where she's like, I felt Jesus calling me to be his child today. I have not surrendered all. <laughs> And then like, I love that later, it will be like, I still have not surrendered all. I, have, I care for the world so much. I cannot completely surrender to Jesus over and over wow. again. And she eventually kind of decided like, I've just, it's, I, I love the world too much. Like, and, and so, but, but also she would never, she never would agree. And she refused to claim though. God occupied so much of her life and her thought and her writings. She writes about God and is so fluid with the language of the Bible into the language of the day and her own thought. They're like, you can't separate them. And so her, her way of bringing God into the public sphere was wholly unique. Hmm. It was wholly unique. And so she just bothers people, you know, mm -hmm. and her writing does and her way of being with in relationship with God is on her own terms in a completely honest voice. And so eventually she um, stopped going to church altogether. During the time she lived, big tent revivals were kind the of a thing happening America. well it was it was coming through her town and in her circles in kind of a fervor and so one by one she watched each one of her family members recommit to Christ she watched all of her friends do the same thing because of these revivals and she would refuse to go hmm. because she a was a recluse but the other part <laughs> was she said I fear that because I would get emotionally swept up that I would make a decision that I didn't fully mean and so she just would never, she wouldn't do it. Eventually, she lived on her property after her father died. She still lived in their home. She never married. But when he died, she never left the grounds of her home, like for the next 13 years until she died. Mm. Okay, so let's stop a minute. 13 years, you never leave the gardens or the confines of your premises. It's incomprehensible, really. Yes. And to me, it just reads pain, you know? Well... Like fear of pain or pain that you're you're experiencing because of the, the way that the world operates or you don't want to see the way that the world's operating. Like to be unwilling or un unable to engage outside of like the safety of your the confines of your home. Probably. I think that like if she were alive today, she'd definitely be categorized as... Uh, what is it when you can't leave your house? A recluse? Uh, no, there's a technical term. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
Yeah, well, whatever that is, that's what I think she would be called that today. But it was what she also wanted. But I mean, she also was so strange. Like, she would have very few visitors, and if she did have visitors, sometimes she would only speak to them through the door. Hmm. And what she did was she would wake up in the morning, she had a writing desk from her young years until her demise, and she would sit at the desk and she would begin to write. And she would process the world and she just would have this volume of work. Mm -hmm. But it was her, it was her life, just writing mm -hmm. these, these poems. And if you look at like the copies of the work, it's like going back and changing drafts and changing words and figuring out until it was like as perfect as she could express. So her take on conversion, that idea of the moment of conversion, mm -hmm. you know, she was just, uh, what I was going to say was that she eventually stopped going to church altogether with her family. Mm -hmm. And she would refer to herself as a pagan. Like, they, <laughs> <laughs> she would she would say to people, like, I would pray for you if I knew how, but I'm a pagan. Like, she just would never claim to be a Christian an authority or have any ability to say one thing or the other about God. Mm. And I think that's why I love her mm -hmm. because I know that pressure and I think that we all live under that pressure. You know, every mm -hmm. human being, especially like that idea of moment of conversion mm -hmm. and the whole while heads are bowed, raise your hand moment or come up here, you know, where it's on display for others. Mm -hmm. In her soul, she knew this is wrong. And I mean, it is wrong, right? Yeah. It's wrong. And she was willing at a time when no one was willing, but especially not a woman, to stand up against it and say, okay, if I don't do this, I understand you will call me this, but I don't care because I'm not going to lie to you. And so for her, I think conversion, belief, and faith was not a once and forever event, but rather a way of life. Mm -hmm. Like conversion was her life, her writing, like whatever prayer practice you have, however your relationship with God is beaten out through the days of your existence. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I think that is has been writing in the past, not so much now. I think it can be caretaking, how you raise your family. Like it can be whatever, however that part of your relationship with God happens is a continual way of life. For well, and part of, I think what you're getting at, and part of the conversion experience. Well, it is of, conversion. Right. It's what changes us into the person who eventually meets God, mm -hmm. you know? And for her, she was wholly devoted to that practice. And she actually was like far above most people who would do any sort of directed practice, I think, you know, like yeah. so much so that I think she was unable to maintain human relationship. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like it mattered so much to her. It yes. was a, such a unimportant, sacred, sacred, yes. like holy as the H-O-L-Y yes. understanding that she committed her entire life yes. to discovering what the truth is. For her. For herself. For herself. And also creating, it was all in secret. Mm -hmm. I mean, when her first volumes were published posthumously, they were immediately successful. And so she, but for her all of her lifetime, it was just herself and God. It's That's amazing. It's really amazing. It's amazing. And I think within it, you see like every, uh, you see a characteristic of every genius where the thing they create true genius like is separate from the public at large mm -hmm. that person doesn't really just do what everyone else does yeah <laughs> they, they are i think that's pretty exemplified in both of the people we've spoken with it's true you know like ruth bader ginsburg wasn't out at the bar every night like smoking cigars <laughs> and <laughs> i don't know much about her recreational life Yes, but even like artists that we know personally, mm -hmm. like they are not like us. True right. committed artists aren't like us. Yeah. They, they, they give a lot of space and time for their work. And that process is how they work out their existence, yeah. you know? 
And so um, what I wrote, she saw conversion of belief not as a once in a forever event, but rather a way of life because she knew herself. Mm. I think this is the other side of, of genius, of artistic pursuit, of any life with God. Mm-hmm. It's the know thyself, mm. you know? And if you are literally in one place, in one room, in one house for 13 years without a TV, <laughs> <laughs> not having visitors, sitting down and staring into the abyss of existence day after day after day, what you're really wrestling with is the human spirit. Mm. You're wrestling with your own spirit and the world. You know, that's mm-hmm. what you're doing. And then you're trying to express what you perceive. Mm-hmm. And so this woman's depth of knowledge about what was in her soul was, I would almost argue, unmatched. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, uh, as far as her example of a life lived in such a way, it's very singular. And that's why she's so confounding in the history, mm-hmm. you know, because she lived in such an unusual way. And I, I imagine, like, part of why it was difficult for her to interact publicly or to, to fucking open the door and talk to my face, Emily, you know, like, mm-hmm. like anything like that is because she understood so deeply what was in the person in front of her. Wow. You know, there is mm-hmm. one of the editors she worked with. He, she she kept extensive letter writing relationships and those letters are actually much more revealing than her work because again her work is so dense and difficult mm-hmm. but so rewarding if you take the time to try to understand her mm-hmm. and I mean obviously many have and right so um, but he said he when he would go to visit her and sit in a room with her, he would leave emotionally and physically exhausted just because of the energy she would put out towards them was so um, comprehensive. Like she was understanding, like, like you probably felt like you couldn't, what could you say or do that wouldn't be completely understood by the person you're sitting with? Mm-hmm. Like you would just be, just to be in that situation is, Exhausting and intimidating. intimidating. I would honestly, you're not gonna like this, but I would say that you have a little bit of a presence like that. Okay. And and most gifted people, they are in t- kind of intimidating to be around like that because your brain thoroughly thinks about all of the words that are spoken to you, and so that was like kind of a hard thing for me to kind of wrap my brain around when we first became friends yeah. because you you remembered everything I said (laughs) and you would hold me accountable to it in relationship. And I, I was not used to that, you know? Um, And I was also more of a flippant person Mm -hmm. when I was younger in our relationship, you know? And so you would say, you know, when you said I'm an asshole or whatever, you know, (laughs) hypothetically, (laughs) but I'm sure I did say that, Um, that hurt me because of A, B and C. And so what I started to learn was, this person is fully engaging and is always thinking about other people's behavior and their own behavior. The words that we say are important. Yes. And so I became a more articulate person about the things that I said and how I behaved in general in my life, especially with you, but also in, just in general. And I became a more thoughtful person. And that's good. It is good. Yeah. It's thoughtful, but it's also intimidating. And so what I've realized is sometimes people are intimidated to speak with me or behave, just be around me Hmm. because they're held accountable for for themselves. And I didn't even realize that I have that presence. Imagine Mm -hmm. if I was at a, I can't imagine what I... If you're at Emily Dickinson Yeah. You know? I know. It's like, she probably was like protecting people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to stay away. I don't really feel like we could talk. Like, and it may be that she didn't trust who she was speaking to because she, her level of comprehension is astounding. Mm-hmm. Her level of comprehension is just so breathtaking. And then you think that, you know, in the time that she lived and the oppression she mm-hmm. lived with, and the things that she could rebel against that were in her power, she did. And she's just truly remarkable. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you, if you can grasp 
the things that she says about God, then you're you're blessed, you know? Okay. I love this. I'll just, so I'm just going to read this random poem that I just opened. Okay. It says, Jesus, thy crucifix, enable thee to guess the smaller size. Jesus, thy second face, mind thee in paradise of ours. It's like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how I feel about every, every poem. Prayer, okay? Prayer is the little implement through which men reach where presence is denied them. They fling their speech. By means of it in God's ear, if then he hear, this sums the apparatus comprised in prayer. I mean, I feel like I understand some of that. Right, and that's all. That's all <laughs> that's it is. It it's like is. there. When you read her poems, there's there's like a, a a line you get, and then you're like, okay, but I didn't understand any of the rest of it. And so then you need someone to explain it to you. Here's another one about belief. That I always did no. That I did always love. I bring thee proof. That till I loved, I never lived enough. That I shall love always. I argue thee that love is life, and life hath immortality. This dost thou doubt, sweet, then have I nothing to show but Calvary." Mm. And so her, her ability is unmatched, her integrity was through the roof, her commitment also just so remarkable, and she's one of my favorite Christians. Really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I think what's what's kind of remarkable about these two different people that we've showcased here yes. is that they had an undeni undeniable commitment to truth and justice. True. And to wanting to know God. Yes. And, to, they, the, and they're so devoted. Like they devoted every piece of themselves yes. to justice and truth and love. Beauty. Which are all the, the, tr the true attributes of Jesus. You're putting a really nice Christian bow on all this. Well, I mean, I'm just saying it's the truth. Yes. <laughs> it is the truth, you know? Yeah. This is what we believe about Jesus. This yeah. is what we want to know and understand and see in our lives and in our world about Jesus. And all the other bullshit gets in the way and skews who God really is. Well, I think and both are willing to be misunderstood. Yes. They both um, move past the court of human approval into the realm of what am I here for? What do I need to do? What is right and true for me? And with that, I'll live my life. And, and slay. And fucking slay the game. Mm -hmm. You know? Slay the motherfucking game. <laughs> you know? Come at me. That's what they get to say. I mean, Come at me, bitch. It's really remarkable to really see is. a life like that. It truly is. Man, we went for some heavy hitters. <laughs> I mean, that's what people need to, that's what they need to expect. Our bar is high. That's right. There's lots of girls out there that Jesus is like, mm-hmm. I wanted to let you guys know that we are working on a Patreon page. So we're going to have a page that you can join at different tiers, which mm -hmm. is, I guess, the way Patreon works. <laughs> and you can support our podcast and you get some stuff. Yeah, some awesome shit, actually. Some shit. So we are going to get that together and get that out there and we'll be posting about it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the places. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your stories. Like, yeah. this is the impetus of which we are most committed to is letting all everybody's stories be heard yes. and undoing the destructive parts, aspects, practices of the church that have been so negative for us and coming and engaging with who we are and how we interact with God in our daily lives and what it looks like to love Jesus and be a girl in this world. That's right. So thanks for listening. Keep writing at jclikesgirls at gmail.com. We'll never disclose your name. No, unless you want us to. Yeah. Tell us when you write. We respect your privacy. Yes. And we really love hearing your stories. So please share. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye.